Love never fails. In these last days, revival will come, but begins with our individual walk and personal relationship with Jesus. Let's join Brother John now. Well, hello there, my friends. This is Brother John. You're listening to Love Never Fails. And uh, we are still on this topic, this series that we kind of started, and, and we actually interrupted another series we were doing. Uh, this series that is just we've been meditating on for a few days and sharing thoughts and on is why love cannot fail. Uh, we'll get back to we had started a series on Ephesians, uh, the Ephesians prayers, and we'll get back to those soon because they do all tie into love. Everything in the scriptures ties into love. So uh, we are discussing, you could say. Why love cannot fail. And one of the things we've been careful to share with you is that the first thing you've got to do in understanding love, you got to understand that there's different types of love. One of the greatest loves that we've seen on planet Earth is a mother's love for their children. I heard a story years ago about a mother who died jumping out of a building to protect her child, her baby, from a fire. The baby lived. And uh, that's an example of a mother's love. Uh, You hear about these amazing stories of uh, people from time to time who do these incredible things. And it's because they're motivated by love. And then, so... That's an, a great example of, of love. The other, you know, Paul said it's a great mystery, this love. This, he, and, he, and the only thing he knew how to compare it to was the marriage between a man and a woman when they become one flesh. They become one. And really, I love that because Paul says, he goes, I'm actually speaking of the church and its relationship with God. When we become Christians, we turn over you could say when we become when we should become children of god we turn over our way to his way we at some point after the born again experience we begin to transform we begin to grow we begin to as we said in the last episode and we read to you in ephesians we begin to mature becoming to the fullest measure of man that's possible in our vocation in what he's called us to do whether that would be the fivefold ministry or uh at the car wash at the bible bookstore at, at, at on the mission field maybe you're a car salesman or a book salesman or a doctor or whatever your vocation, he wants you to become the fullest expression of him in that place. To become the fullest expression of him, 
in those places, we have the example of Jesus, who was the fullest expression of God on earth. The express, God's express love. God demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, he sent his son, Jesus. Jesus was the expressed, manifest example of God's love. And when we say love, speaking of the God kind of love, we're not speaking of brotherly love. We're speaking of uh, a number of different words. And the two most popular in the New Testament are agape and agapeheo. Agape is the nature and the name. It's a noun. Agapeheo is the action and, and the demonstration, the visible practice. Uh, it is a verb. And so when we do something, and like, like Ephesians 5, 1 says, therefore be imitators of God and walk in love. When you're walking in love, you're practicing agapeheo. Why? To become agape. And that's what I want to show you in this episode, because we talked a lot about in the other two episodes about the practice, the practice, the practice. But what is it that God wants you to become? What is the fullness possible stature of you in God? It is love. See, you and I, we are not just flesh, bones. We are a three-part being, a spirit, a soul, and a body. And your spirit is eternal, just as love is eternal. And when man, when, when God created man, he made man in his image. The image of God, who is a spirit, first and foremost, is love. God is Love. God is not human. God is love. We could say that God is a being and has a personality and a person, but it is love. Agape. That's what that word is. And when God created us in his image, he first and foremost created us in the image of love. When the devil came to Eve, the first thing she attacked was that image, or the first thing the devil attacked was that image, the image of love. Because what did he say? He said, if you eat of this apple, you will be like God. Well, they already are. They already were. But that's the power of deceit. That's the power of the cunning teachings and, and as Ephesians says, uh, of the sea that rocks you to and fro. But how can we overcome that? How can we avoid that deceit and that deception that wants us to be neurotic, that wants us to be, because uh, it almost seems as if nobody, that that people will preach and teach you just enough so you can help them, but not enough to be free and doing all that God has called you to do. Does it seem that way? I would say to you that if, if you've ever asked yourself this question, is this as good as it gets? That you're probably aware of that. That it seems as if some people tell you just enough to get you through the week. But yet God says, listen, I don't want you just to get through the week. I don't want you to just be 
an island unto yourself. I need you to tell others. I need you to rise up and shine and let the, my glory rise upon you so that the nations can see it. But Brother John, I'm not called to be a minister and to fulfill Isaiah 60. No. But he said in Ephesians, and we talked about his last episode, Ephesians 4, your vocation. What has God called you to do? Because whatever it is God has called you or created you to do, your vocation, he first and foremost has called you to become love. Because when you become love, now that vocation that he has set apart for you will reach its fullest potential. Nowhere in Isaiah 60 does it say, arise and shine for the glory of the Lord rises upon ministers. No, it says arises upon you. We have spent hours and hours teaching on revival uh, scriptures. And the funny thing is, is I cannot think of a single one sitting here right now in which he says he will only use the fivefold ministry to bring about revival. Or he will only use a shepherd or a pastor or a, a teacher, an evangelist or a prophet or an apostle. I don't see that. What he does say is that that fivefold ministry is for the perfecting of the saints. The saints are you and I and anyone else who may be out there listening. You know, maybe you've bought into that uh, second day lie that God anoints only a few for his purposes and his plans and touch not God's anointed. Well, many preachers will use that when they're in the midst of doing something they shouldn't be doing in the first place. And they'll use that as a defense. And they also use that to control people. Well, that right there tells you that none of that is from the Spirit of God. That's witchcraft. And what I find is that when God wrote the scriptures, he said this to me and you in John 15. He said, you have an anointing from the Holy One. You don't need anyone to teach you. For, and Jesus said this in fulfilling prophecy. He stood up and he fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah 11, 3. He said, uh, Isaiah 11, 3 says, Emmanuel, when he comes, he will do only what he sees the Father do and speak only as he hears the Father speak, save judgment for him alone. Uh, and then he said in John chapter 7, Jesus said actually in um, in another place, he said today he stood up and read from the scriptures and today the scriptures fulfilled in your hearing. Then he said he fulfilled that prophecy in John chapter seven when he said, uh, I do unless I see the father do I speak unless I hear the father speak and I save judgment for him alone. But when I, if I do make a judgment, I make a correct judgment. Why would Jesus say that? Because Jesus had mastered something that we don't see in ministry or even in this world that much. What did he mastered? He mastered walking in love. Jesus was rooted and grounded in love long before he turned to money changers. Jesus was rooted and grounded in love long before he started teaching it. But he also said this in John 15, he said, and he said it a few times, it's good for you that I go because if I go, I will send the comforter and he will teach you. And show you things to come. He will tell you whatever the Spirit or the Father is saying. So Jesus fulfilled the prophecy that was spoken of him in Isaiah 11. Then he 
said to us, spoke over us and said, if you will do this, and if I go, then this will happen, the same thing. So you and I can be people who do as we see the Father do, speak as we hear the Father speak, and save judgment for him alone. And the amazing thing is, is how do we get to that place? We, we love. Because you see, if the Spirit of God is telling you, we call that being led by the Spirit. One of my favorite topics to teach is how to be led by the Spirit of God. The small, still voice, the audible voice, uh, sometimes through dreams and visions. There are a number of ways that God can speak to you. But he says in Romans 8, 14, he said, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God, the children of love. The Holy Spirit speaking to you will never tell you something apart from the Spirit of God. Because it is the Spirit of God. But it will also never tell you something that doesn't line up with love and with Scripture. Oftentimes, God has spoken to me, and I do not mean to be, uh, to talk, back talk him, uh, but he has said things to me, or he's shown me things. And I've said, Lord, I need a scripture for that. If God speaks to me through the Spirit, either through uh, an inclination, a gut instinct, a revelation, uh, an audible voice, or a dream or a vision, I say to him, God, I need a scripture for that. Because I'm a word in the Spirit guy. I don't just take the Bible and read it and go, bam, 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 that's it. Because the Bible will be veiled if you don't have the Spirit. The Spirit, you can be led astray by spirits if you don't have the Word. You have to be rooted and grounded not just in love, but in the Word and in the Spirit. And the Word and the Spirit are love. It's all intertwined. But you, we've seen it, and I'm sure many of you out there, if you've been in Christianity long enough, you've seen ministers go astray. Why? Well, they're, they're, if not for the grace of God, there go we. But at the same time, it's because maybe they were just way over in the spirit. I know when I first came into Christianity, it was all about the Spirit. I mean, I went to a church that they taught miracles, signs, and wonders. They preached it. It was all about the supernatural. I loved it. But I started to get off. And then God led me to a church that taught me how to study the Word. I, I'll give you an example. I went on, uh, I was already starting to do missions, and I was already starting to fulfill that part of my life. And this was in the, uh, after I got out of the military. And in the early 90s, I went on a, on a missions trip. And I went with a big organization, and, and we were seeing miracles, signs, and wonders, like just amazing things. This organization was not accustomed to that. So after about three months, I got called into a room one day and they said, now, Mr. John, you're this and this and this and this happened and that happened. And how did that happen? And I was like, um, cause God did it. No, you were, show us a scripture, show us. And what they were doing was coming at me with scripture, telling me why none of those things should be happening. I didn't know the word. 
I did not know the word. I had spent that summer reading through the Bible completely through. And they kind of laughed about that. I was like, what? They literally laughed when they found out that I was reading the word, the Bible, all the way through. But I didn't. I was reading the Bible all the way through that summer. We were in that country for three months. I was seeing miracles, signs, and wonders with the team that we were on. And, and I took the brunt of the illegitimate rebuke. And when I left, that it happened in the last week that we were in that country. And I came home. I said, I told God, I said, I don't ever want to do that again. I said, you can take ministry and missions and all of that and flush it down the drain. I, God, I do not want to do it. I don't want to be a part of it. I said, that was one of the worst experiences of my life because I took all of the incredible things that God had done in the pre prior three months and summed it all up into that two hour, you know, beat up Brother John session. And thank goodness God didn't honor my prayer. <laughs> but what did happen is not long after that, um, a friend of mine called me and said, you, you should probably come over here. And then I got a job offer coaching at a uh, university in that town. And I said, and, and there's a number of Bible schools in that town. I said, I would love, and I remember I was driving down the expressway around this town. And I just come from the convention center where this big preacher was having a big seminar. And, uh, and I said, Lord, I had a stack of Bible school brochures in a seat next to me. And I had my hand on. I said, Lord, which one of these do you want me to go to? I'm willing to go. And clear as I know my own name, he said to me, none of them. I'm going to teach you. I came back to him. I said, are you nuts, God? I said, there is no way that will ever happen. I said, every one of my friends will think that I'm a nut. They already think I'm a freak. There's people already call me a black sheep and tell me that I'm going to be a flash in the pan. I said, God, that ain't going to work. I said, I need to, I need to get serious. I need to be for real. I said, I can't just be some spirit guy going around doing all this stuff. Cause look what it's already happened. Look, God, look, God, look at me. Look at me. My problems, God. But God had said, none of them, I'm going to teach you. So after I got done whining at God, about two weeks later, I met a man who worked at a publisher who said, I'm going to bring you some books. And I thought, yep, okay, because people say stuff like that all the time and you never see them again. About a week later, he and his wife come into the place that I was working. Uh, I had to work an afternoon job because coaching did not pay much. Uh, and so I worked in the afternoons at a shop <coughs> and they came in and they gave me about 100. I think it was 112 books. And I spent the next year studying them, devouring them. I would read the book and turn pages down. Then I go back to that page and highlight parts that just leapt off the page at me and then I would take notes and so I would go through every book basically three times and that's how I kind of went through college I the same thing I did in college I did there and I I had an academic ride to uh, Oklahoma State and uh so even though I did not graduate high school and get offered that scholarship it did happen that's another miracle in of itself so after the military so 
Over the next year, I read every one of those books, many of whom I still have. And I found out later that most of those books are used as textbooks in a lot of the leading Bible schools in the country at that time. <laughs> so lo and behold, um, but, you know, I, I talked to several friends of mine who went to Bible school and they go, yeah, we're only reading 20 books this year or we're only reading. And here God had given me 112 books and I, I was a reader. I'm still an avid reader. And when I have time for it and I devoured those books the next year, I devoured just as many. And slowly but surely what happened is I developed a taste and a desire to study the word and things started coming together. And then I got involved, uh, started doing missions and started teaching and, and, and now look at where we are today. And I know many of you pray for me. Please continue to pray for me. So my point in telling you all that is that. At once, I was just a spirit guy. I was led, I went, man, in the spirit of God. But I got a little off. And thank God that the spirit of God protected me. Then I started studying the word. And I remember at one point, I said, oh, I feel so dry studying the word. But now, it was about 20 years ago now. I was getting to go preach at a church and the Lord said, study love. And I was insulted. I was upset. And I argued with God. And probably for about two years, every time I go preach somewhere, what do you want me to preach on? Love, love, love. I'm like, are you kidding me? And uh, <laughs> here's a funny story. I got excited one night on a Saturday night. I was laying on my kitchen floor. My family's all asleep. And we're in this rental house and it had a linoleum floor and I'm laying on the kitchen floor and I had my Bible and a notepad and I'm studying. And I began to write out a message and I was so excited because it wasn't love. It was not love. Oh, praise God. I'm going to and I'm writing out. I wrote out about six pages the next morning I go to church and I'm thinking, I'm going to, maybe God's going to call me up and have me preach this today. Maybe the pastor's going to say, oh, brother John, come up here and preach today. And I got there. <laughs> the preacher proceeds to preach the message I had written down. So much so that I had written down in vital living contact and he used the words in vital living union. After the service, I, I handed the notes to his wife. And the funny thing is the man had told me, and I didn't make this connection until then, the man had told me the week before he didn't know if he could hear from the Holy Spirit anymore. He was getting disgruntled. He was getting discouraged. And here God had me all excited thinking I was going to preach something other than love. And I ended up writing out the pastor's message. The next Saturday night, I wrote out, the pastor's message. The next Saturday night, I wrote out the pastor's message. Then I typed it out. And for six weeks, I wrote his message out the night before he preached it. And I, and I typed the last few and they knew there was no way I was in the back of the room writing. And he came to me and said, wow, what, 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 what's God doing? I said, I think God's answering your question that you do hear from him. And it stopped after that. And 
anyway, so I, kind of a fun story. I, I just, you know, you, I'm sorry. I get, I get excited. I start thinking and then all these thoughts come through my head and I go, wow, you know, but God loved that man enough to encourage him. I mean, that's what that was all about, to let him know, you know, and, and it was interesting because of the messages he was preaching kind of helped answer some of the questions, too. But anyway, so the whole point in sharing all this with you is that when you become a born again Christian, you've got to get into a word and the spirit church so that these things you can experience these things for yourself. The, you know, people have come to me and go, Brother John, can I put some of these stories in our book? And I'd be like, no, please don't. Well, why not? The world needs to know. I said, well, it's not that. It's it's My whole reason is not that I'm greedy and that I'm selfish. I said, about the miracles that God has done. I said, the, the issue is, is that you should be experiencing them yourself. I'm not special. Preachers are not special. The miracle that's, the, the uh, revival that's coming is not coming through the pulpit. And, and, and I need to keep saying that over and over and over. And I know that there are going to be ministers who are going to hijack it. But let me tell you something. Please, my friends, understand this. There is a revival coming. The last great revival. It is not coming from the church as we know it. It is not coming from the pulpit. It's not. I can tell you where it is coming from, but it's not from the pulpit. It's come, I'll, I'll say this much. It is coming from those of us who are rooted and grounded in love and have begun to practice that and who are in pursuit of the fullest measure of God. It is coming, you know, it is coming from a direction that many people will be surprised and they will reject it, just like they rejected the Messiah. Is he not from the Nazareth? They're going to say that. Is that not from? And because of that, they'll miss it. But there can't be a great apostatic falling away unless that happens. The arise and shine for the glory of the Lord rises upon you. I can I can do a whole teaching and and maybe we need to do this about the Shekinah glory. I know there's a lot of people you get all excited about the Shekinah glory. I can tell you how to cultivate the Shekinah glory in your life. I can tell you because I tell you guys every episode. Brother John, you're making it so simple. That's because it is. See, many of you are having the same reaction that I had when God said, study love. Because you think of love based on the way you've been treated by people other than God, but yet God gets the blame. After God said, preach love, eight weeks later, I went to that church and I preached love. I had a man come up to me in his 70s and said, I've been a Christian 50-some years. I've never heard that preached. He said, that's the best sermon I've ever heard. And let me tell you something, guys. I was shaken. 
this love is not a Red Cross kind of love. It's not a soup kitchen kind of love. It's not a food drive or welfare check kind of love. All Now, there may be people operating in those situations who are full of agape love. Absolutely. What I'm speaking of, this kind of love is not a program that can be in- institutionalized. It cannot be, it's not a program that requires money. It's not a program that requires the forming of a denomination or an organization. It is organic and spontaneous, but yet it takes time. It takes a transformation in you. You are never going to affect your family until you allow yourself to be infected by God. Your family is never going to affect your neighborhood until you and in your family are infected by God, his love, so forth and so on. And there is a thing called prophetic timing. There's a release date for this revival. And as we approach it, more and more people are going to be beginning to preach love. It's already happening. I've been, I, I started 20 some years ago and was in shock and, and awed and dismayed about why I had to preach love. Now I don't want to preach anything else because I now see how everything ties into love. It's like the Matrix, that movie, The Matrix. I see that love in everything. God is omnipresent, and when you walk within the in that nature and that matrix of love, everything is set right. My, I, I don't have spiritual authority because I study spiritual authority. I used to. I don't have faith because I study faith, but I could teach you faith. But I used to study faith. I don't study miracle signs and wonders or healing like I used to 25, 30 years ago because they are part of the package. Oh, I could still teach those things. But isn't it funny that you probably listen to this radio show and every show I tell you stories. I give you testimonies of things that God has done. And you go, wow, I wish those things would happen to me. They can. And they didn't happen through me by God because I went out and studied those things. They happened through me because I said, I want to be a child of God. I want to be an imitator of God. I want to walk in love. So you know what, God? Even though I don't understand it, I don't see where we're going right now. I And I'm kind of insulted you asked me to preach love. I will preach love. And you know what? Tomorrow, I'll have to do it. And tomorrow... I'll have to get up and walk in love. And tomorrow, I will have to look people in the eye who I know have lied about me, who've thrown me under the bus, who've spit on me, but yet the week before they ate at my dinner table. I I will walk in love, even though I know there are people who have robbed my family of things, 
and they said this out loud. Oh, well, John will walk in love. They were doing wrong and said, but John will walk in love. People will do that to you. Well, he'll walk in love. I mean, think about that and then think about the, what they said. Oh, if you're the son of God, come down off that cross. They will despise you and use you and abuse you. And guess what? You still have to walk in love. I have been in situations where I walked away like a mute lamb. And people would say, why don't you defend yourself? Why don't you? Why don't you? I had a situation not long ago where I said to somebody in business, in, in a business meeting, I said, listen, we need to, da, 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 don't do this, don't, you know. And in that business meeting, here I am thinking this is a confidential meeting. And somebody was unhappy about what I was sharing. And because it was something that a mistake that somebody had made, not in our company, but that in another business we dealt with. This individual went into that business and began to cuss and chew people out. And then said that I they were just following my orders. Threw me under the bus. Well, I, I went to the manager of that business and began to talk because Johnny goes, I know you. I knew the guy was lying. I was like, okay. Okay. And, and there are times that I forget that who I am and wh who I become is all the testimony and defense that I ever need. I don't have to defend myself. And there are times that I refuse to defend myself for weeks and months on end. And then God revealed his plan and all of that. And the miracle that came at the end. But And then I look back and go, if I had defended myself when everybody told me to, that person would still be in deceit. That person would still. And But because I refused to defend myself, I walked in love. I obeyed. God said, you keep your mouth shut. Well, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. And so therefore, that person, after weeks of publicly attacking me had a revelation and became a word and a spirit guy. If we say we love God, then we must love the brethren. If we say we love God, we must obey God. That's the God kind of love. You have to resist the urge to defend yourself. Oh, I will defend others in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. But you probably will never get me in an argument. If you get me alone somewhere, you'll never get me in an argument. I won't do it. Used to make my wife mad early on in her marriage. I wouldn't argue. Then she learned. Praise God, we're both in agreement with that now. I don't argue with my kids. I don't argue with people. Why? It doesn't do me any good. And because we read this in the last episode, Ephesians says, therefore, keeping the unity of peace. How? By walking in love. Our pursuit, our purpose is peace. That's what we want in every situation is peace. We want peace in our finances. We want peace in our body. We want peace in all these areas. You're not going to have peace if you don't walk in love. You cannot walk in love and not have peace.
How else did Jesus allow them to put those nails through his through his wrists and his feet? You know, so many of us blame it on righteous indignation. It's righteous indignation. And you tear people down. You do things that make you feel good. And you go, it's just righteous indignation. Really? Well, all I'm doing is exactly what Jesus did when he turned over the money tables. Really? Let me ask you a question. Have you mastered the love walk? Because Jesus said, I do only as I see the Father do. I speak only as the Father speak. And if I and I save judgment for him alone, but if I do make a judgment, I make a correct one. So if we apply that sentence to the whole money changers incident, I ask you, have you mastered walking in love? Have you become agape love? The unfailing love? Have you learned to walk in the love that can never fail? For love never fails. And and are you endeavoring on a day-to-day basis to practice agapeheo? That is what a Christian is to do. Ephesians 5.1, therefore be imitators of God and walk in love. See, many of you, you want all the benefits of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of righteousness. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's a kingdom of love and righteousness. It is the kingdom of love. So how can you be a child of the kingdom of love and not operate in love? So if if you don't operate in love, you don't qualify for the benefits of the kingdom. And there lies your paradox and your your, your neurotic Christianity. You are a neurotic Christian crying out to God and begging everybody around you for help simply because you refuse to walk in love. If you would walk in love, all your your neurotic whatever tendencies would disappear. That's what it means in Ephesians where it says, being rooted and grounded in love. And he goes on to say, for the perfecting of the saints. Why? So that you're no longer children, but rather mature, attaining to the fullness of God, no longer swayed back and forth by the cunning teachings of men and their deceitfulness and tossed back and forth like a ship on angry waters. There are so many Christians out there who are neurotic. And the reason you're neurotic is because you are at odds. You have controversy in your heart. And your controversy is rooted and grounded in the fact that you don't understand that you are supposed to be and become and practice agape and agapeheo. That's it. Boils down to that. You're trying to take everything in Deuteronomy chapter 28 in the first 14 verses, and acquire it without, first of all, acquiring the keys of the kingdom. And the keys of the kingdom are love, hope, and faith. And the greatest of these is love. You you are failing in your mind's eye over and over and over. Thus, what bears out this neurotic Christianity, because you are not operating in the principles of the kingdom. The principle of the kingdom is one thing. Love. 
well, Brother John, it's also about faith. It's a, faith work is by love. Well, it's about peace. Peace comes because you walk in love. Well, it's about, it. listen, I don't care who you are. You're out there trying to debate me in your radio or whatever, thinking, listen, it all boils down to love. Every topic that you could preach operates through love. Because it is a kingdom of love. Why? Because God is love and love cannot fail. God is God and he cannot fail. God is mercy. He cannot fail. God is his word. It cannot fail. There's nothing else in that Bible that can not fail. There are thousands of things in that Bible that can fail. Man's encouragement, man's heart, man's health. Man's words, man's truth. All, go, go get a concordance and study that word fail. There's only four things that cannot fail. So why not begin to major on those four things? Now, I can tell you that I said one day, I said, okay, God, let's do this. And what I found in my daily walk and practice called agapeheo, is that I don't have to study mercy every day. I don't have to study. Uh, I don't have to study mercy every day. I can't do anything about God because God is God and God is omnipresent. He's sovereign. He cannot fail. But I can do something about mercy, His Word, and His love. When I feed on His Word, it encourages and builds up my spirit and allows me to be merciful. So what happens is because I walk in love and mercy and I consume myself in the word, I therefore become an imitator of God who is love. So if God cannot fail, his love cannot fail because they are the one and the same. Agape is God. Then if I decide to major on walking in love, that would therefore mean that that same equation applies to me and you. I remember there was a point in time after studying love for probably 10 years, the Lord said to me, he goes, the next thing is wisdom. I said, what? And I can tell you that over the years, as I continue to root and ground myself in love, the challenges change. They they become bigger. They become different. They, you know, it's, it's funny because when people say to me, "Oh, brother John, I had a guy that was arguing with me for several months online about love. Well, this and well that," and then he went silent. And then he showed back up about a year later. Said, "I just need to tell you." He goes, first, I want to ask for forgiveness," and then he began to explain to me his own journey with walking in love. And now for the last five or six years, I get to see him and his wife and talk to them from time to time. And it's amazing what has transformed. And he said to me, he goes, I didn't realize it. He goes, but what you were teaching antagonized my spirit because I knew I wasn't right. But he said, the day I got saved, I had a wonderful, incredible experience. And it lasted for quite some time until I got steered into a particular type of teaching. He said, and then I spent 28 years languishing in that teaching, struggling, not realizing that they were, what they were teaching is what was keeping me in bondage. 
They never taught me to be released, to, to go out and do what God has called me to do. To do and, and many of the things that I tell all of you, he was in a church that was not doing that. And he said, and so I've known you for years, but when you started really, because I got on a social media platform, he goes, and I saw that it, and it, it bothered me. He goes, but then I yielded to it. And he started sharing with me all the incredible things that were happening. He goes, I'll never go back. I'll never go back to who I was before. He goes, I'm free. I'm free. And now he goes around and does all these incredible things. He doesn't get on a platform. He doesn't hold a microphone. He rides around on a bicycle, on, on a motorcycle. And he just, he loves on people. And he sees incredible things happen. You see, the scriptures clearly tell us that you'll no longer be swayed back and forth by the cunning teachings of men and their doctrines. So why would Paul warn us or tell us about that if it wasn't going to happen? But yet he tells us right there in Ephesians chapter 4 how to be free, be rooted and grounded in love and pursuing peace and walk in love. Becoming mature, attaining to the fullness of God in your place. Not all are called to be apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and I missed one. But whatever your vocation is, is what it says in verse 1 of chapter 4. But he begins chapter 5 by saying, therefore be imitators of God. The job of the preacher in whatever office he holds, is to tell you this, to edify you and encourage you towards completeness, towards perfection, towards maturity, towards being rooted and grounded in love so that you are no longer swayed back and forth by the popular cunning teachings and doctrine, but attaining to the fullness of Christ. The reason love can never fail is because you're speaking of the actual exact nature of who God is. Love. So if you choose to become love, then you cannot fail. Well, Brother John, is it fair for us to become love? You can't. Where are you getting at? Give me a scripture. Well, Romans says that all of creation waits with eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. The sons of love. All of creation is waiting for you and I to become who we're supposed to become in this generation. Let's take off our cloaks of Christianity and learn how to become the children of God. Let's learn how to be what God and all of creation is waiting for us to be. Well, how do I do that? We do that by following after the things that cannot fail. If I told you, listen... Let's say uh, there's a there's an athlete that you want to be like, and he's having a, a, a he's retired. He or she is retired, and they have a camp, and you can go to that camp and learn directly from them. Would you go? Absolutely. If if there's a painter or an artist that you want to be like. And the door opened for you to spend a year with them, learning from them. Would you go? If there's a preacher that you want to be like, 
Would you go find them? You see what I'm saying? So when we find something in us that says, I want you to do this, I want you to do that, you study, you search out those things that have already, the people that have already gone out ahead of you and done that, you know, and, and you try to find those people and spend time with them so that you can learn from them. And and in in the word of God, if if we want to be a child of God, then we've got to study about that. We've got to pursue that. We've got to, Paul said, Paul, this is an incredible verse that Paul said, and I need to get to this Romans 13 to you, but he said this, Paul said in, in Ephesians or in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, which really shouldn't be part, it should be part of chapter 13, but he says, therefore make this your greatest quest in life. Paul writes all these books all these letters, and he says in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, therefore make love your greatest quest in life. Wow. Make love your pursuit, your quest. Pursue after love with all that you are and all that you have and all that is within you. Why? Because when you pursue after love, you're pursuing not just the, the, the kingdom or not just the principles of the kingdom or the benefits of the kingdom. You're pursuing the one in which everything originated with for all of eternity. If, if you tell me that I want to be an athlete, but I'm only going to study this one style of at this one particular spot on the team, I'm only going to be able to do that. And then they say, well, you'd be better over there, but I've never studied that spot. Uh, it's going to take me a while to get it right, if I'm even capable of. When you study just faith, or you study just money, or you study just joy, or you just study whatever it is, just revelation, the end times, the, you know, these, these apocalyptic preachers bother me. Because it, though it is in the days of Noah, right in the middle of the days of Noah, the, you know what I see? I see eight people that God said, listen, you're my children, come, on, come with me. And right there in Revelation chapter 9, in the midst of all that chaos in the last days, he goes, but touch not those who have the mark of the Holy Spirit. I don't see the Antichrist as anything other than fulfilling his job, and I'm not worried about him. I'm not concerned about him. I'm not concerned about the end of days. What I'm interested in is what I and the church the children of God, that all of creation is waiting for the rise and shine for the glory of the Lord rises upon you. I'm concerned about what the victorious church that walks in love is going to be doing in those days. Because though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death that we call the last days, no evil will touch me. It is like for some reason people start teaching revelation in the end times and they forget about what they are and who they are. And fear takes over. We've got all these preachers out there propagating the message of the Antichrist, which is called fear. So let me get to Revelation or get to uh, Romans because I want to read this to you. Because you can change. You can change and you can tap into the never fail kind of life. The never fail kind of love. And and so you've heard me teach this before probably, but it says this in Romans chapter 13, verse 8. 
owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another has fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other command, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Verse 10. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Wow. Now, here we go back to what is love. Because in verse 8, he in the English it uses the word love, which is different from the word that's used in verse 10 in the original language. In verse 8, he uses the word agapeo. It's the verb. It's the action. Oh, no man, anything. See, anytime you see the word love that's associated with a command or a doing, that's really in the Greek going to be agapeo. Okay, so he says, oh, no man, anything but to agape or practice love towards one another for he that practices love demonstrates practices, pursues love on a daily basis, has fulfilled the law. See, that's why the Ten Commandments in Leviticus doesn't matter in our lives. Jesus said all of the law and the prophets hinge on this one command that you love one another. So here he's telling you is if you practice love, therefore there is, you have fulfilled the law for this. And he says, or, and he goes on, he quotes the commandments concerning with how we deal with others. He says, for thou namely comprehended, they're all commandment is briefly comprehended in this saying that you shall love thy neighbors yourself. So all of those commandments are part of the law that says, or the original command that Jesus renewed with us in John 13, 34, which is you love one another. And listen to what he says. Now, he's not referring to God, but he says in verse 10, love worketh no ill to his neighbor. So he's referring to a person. He's referring to people when he says to his neighbor. Who's he referring to? He's referring to you and I, because up in verse 8, we're practicing doing. We're endeavoring to be and practice this on a daily basis. But now in verse 10, we've not just been practicing. We've not just been doing and pursuing, but now we become. See, up in verse 8, we're imitating. We're imitating God, walking in love. But now in verse 10, we've become love. And see, to become what all the creation is waiting for with eager expectation, becoming agape, that's what God intended for us. In the beginning, in the garden, we were agape. Adam gave that up. We became phileo. And, and now God is saying to us with what Jesus did, he said, I renew with you the original command. And now Paul's saying, listen, if you will practice love, if you'll pursue love, if you'll imitate God, imitate Jesus, what happens? We become love. And we become all that God desires for us to be. How incredible is that? So you go from practicing the unfailing love to becoming unfailing love. This is the end the game. This is what it's all about. Then when you've done this and you've practiced it and you've pursued it, then you walk into heaven and he says, well done, thy good and faithful servant. And not just, well, you're done.
you practice love. You practice agape. You practice what you see God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit do. And in doing so, you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your 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 everything in you changes. You become a new person, a new being. Most of us, it takes time because we have to unlearn the old ways and learn the new ways, the new kingdom, the new way of doing things. And as you and the way you learn is he teaches you day by day as you agapeheo. And as you agapeheo, the agape in you grows and grows and grows. And I'll, and maybe we'll do this in an episode soon. You become that tree planted by the rivers. Rooted and grounded in love. No longer swayed back and forth. But now you become that tree that, that uh, uh, Ezekiel says, whose leaves are for healing and its fruit is for life. And it says your leaves will never wither. Now you've become that full-blown thing that God and all of creation is waiting for. Now you become the tool of revival that everybody's waiting for. The thing that he's spoken to your heart. I need you to do something. I want you to do something. I need you to go somewhere. I need you to do this. I need you to do that. How do you do it? Love, love, love. You practice love. And you'll never fail. You will succeed at all that he's asked you to do. Why? Because you do it his way. You're not just a businessman. You're not just a man using principles of the world, but now you're using the principle of the kingdom to succeed in every area of your life. Listen, we love you. We appreciate you. We're so glad you're listening, but it is the end. Listen, Jesus loves people and love never fails. Thank you for listening to Love Never Fails as we pursue revival. Remember, Jesus loves people and love never fails. For more information on Love Never Fails and ministry events, please email us at loveneverfailswithbrojohn at gmail.com. That's loveneverfailswithbrojohn at gmail.com.